Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective Podcast, the weekly show where, you know, sometimes we just, ugh, you, you know, you've had a day, and that guy in line at the, the coffee shop just kept getting on your last nerve, listening to music without his headphones, um, brought his dog inside for some reason, and you just feel like you're about to snap. And then you finally do, and it feels so good. And you are now the villain of the story. Hello, everyone. I am the Plutonian, and this is the Comics Collective. I am joined today by my two favorite carbon bags of atoms and bioelectricity. I'm Alexis, carbon bag number one. And I'm carbon bag number two, Dallas. Hell yeah. And if I'm coming in very weird, my mic broke right before we recorded this. I'm sorry, everyone. It's okay. I broke it. I'm the villain. And I have gone completely rogue. This world is mine. Um, I claim you're Indonesia, and that's all you need to know. Yep. It's it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to just let go for once. Uh, how are you two doing? Feeling very good. Also on the edge of my sanity. I might also just release it. Just <laughs> good. scream it into the void. I've been having a great time. <laughs> I am breaking in a new type of film stock. I've been using Kodak 200 Gold, mm -hmm. which is a little bit lower ISO. And so I switched to Portra 400 for a roll. And it's supposed to have mm -hmm. a lot mellower tones and smaller grain. I took some great pictures at the Apple Orchard yesterday at a very fall time. So if those develop well, and I like how they look, I might be getting into a new expensive hobby. So always, always a plus for me. Hell yeah, we love it when Dallas spends money. Oh, but anyways, so to explain a little bit of my more serious villainous arc that I have undergone, the comic that we read this week for the collective is called Irredeemable by Mark Wade and Peter Krauss and a few other artists along the way. And it was a comic that came out from 2009 to 2012. And fun fact was probably the very first independent comic that I remember reading after I got back into comics in 2013. So this was definitely an experience. And listener, we will go into what everyone thought about the book here in just a second. But starting this week, we are going to take a short little bit here at the beginning to officially just give you a quick synopsis and rundown of the story in case you came in here and you're like, what is this book? I have never heard of it before. I'm interested in what they have to say, but I would like to give you a quick little pitch, if you will, to give you a chance to say, this might be something worth checking out if you haven't already, and a chance for you to pause the episode and come back after you've listened to it. Or if you just want to keep chugging along and hear what we have to say, or it's a book you've read before, please feel free to continue onwards. I'm going to go ahead and give you the short comic breakdown. Irredeemable bum, is... Bum, 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 oh, we doing the... Okay, good, good. Theme song for it. Perfect. Um, Irredeemable is a comic from Boom Studios. As I said, that came out between the years 2009 and 2012. And it is a comic that asks a very, very simple question. And that question is, what happens when the world's biggest hero becomes its greatest threat? And 
like other stories we've read on the show before, like Invincible, we dive a little bit into the evil Superman trope, where this all-powerful being that can shoot lasers from his eyes and fly around suddenly turns bad, and now the world has to ask itself, what the hell are we gonna do? And as the world's heroes team up to try to take down this new threat, the balance of the world is thrown into chaos, villains becoming heroes, cats living with dogs, mass hysteria. And furthermore, we start to find out as we go along that maybe this hero that we all thought was so golden wasn't that perfect from the get-go, and we untangle a massive web of lies and corruption and darkness throughout the entire hero community as we try to figure out how do we save ourselves from the man who can't be beaten. And, you know, maybe we'll have some fun along the way. We'll see. It is a comic that was also accompanied by a sister title called Incorruptible, which asks the exact opposite question, what happens if the world's greatest villain becomes its greatest hero? And we did not read that for the show this week, but it is also a fun read if you're interested by Mark Wade as well. And yeah, that is the quick irredeemable pitch, if you will. If that sounds like something that you'd be interested in and want to read before you have it all nice and spoiled for you here by the three of us, please feel free to take a break now and come back. We will be here. And trust us, you will not be disappointed, at least in my opinion, you will not be disappointed. But that's just me. We're going to now go into the collective perspective and find out what all of our lovely hosts here thought about the book this week. And we are going to start with the one and only Lexi Taylor. Lexi, what did you think about the Plutonian and Irredeemable? You know, I said it earlier, I think to Dallas, I think I texted and I said, you know, I'm starting to become fond of this evil Superman trope Mm -hmm. because every single one that I feel like I've read has been really good. I... I like the concept of someone who is just jam-packed full of, like, expectation by the whole world and just being like, you know what? Fuck you all. Let me light this on fire. I've had it. I If, you, if I save one more ungrateful person, I'm going to lose it because I feel like every normal person on a much smaller scale, every single person on this planet – has felt that one in one way or another. We have all had our moments of where we're like, you know what? I am going to go live under my bed for the next six years, okay? Leave me alone. I'm over it. I can't handle this anymore. And I want to scream into the void. And just to have this blown up into the event of the, a lifetime, if you will, where the number one most powerful person on the planet becomes its biggest threat, like you said, that is just so crazy and so full of intense high stakes. But also I loved with this specific run kind of following more in depth with like his actual struggle of how he got there. Like I loved like getting the background as to why he snapped, why he was actually kind of that way his entire life. And I really liked the more or less psychological look into why this man who's bigger than life lost his mind because he was just completely over it. And I found that very interesting and much um, a much 
different and fun lens compared to like, I mean, we've mentioned Invincible and I mean, the boys, we've got the boys, we're Homelander, but a couple, handful of other evil Supermans out there, you know? So I just think it's fun. I love, I love crazy people sometimes. I feel like they deserve (laughs) to have their moment too. (laughs) I love crazy people sometimes. And I'm so glad you got to talk a little bit about the, um, the, the evil Superman that we've seen in recent years. We're going to go back to that in a little bit and talk more about that, but I'm so glad you like the story. It's sometimes it's like, I'm reading through, I'm like, this is really dark. I can't believe I suggested something like this this week, but then some of those moments happen. You're like, Oh, okay. That was, that was really fun. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you you liked it. I just Dallas. you know that meme that's like a Furby with the fire behind it. Yes. That's how I felt this week. I was like, this is me reading Irredeemable. <laughs> Beautiful. Furby on fire. <laughs> Dallas, were you also a Furby on fire? I was. I was so surprised at how quickly I read this comic. Mm-hmm. I when I sat down for a 37 issue long series, I said, Who does Anne think she is? Me? Who the hell assigns in one week a 37-issue series to read? Mm-hmm. This has got to be from the people who brought you from hell in one week. And lo and behold, this book was lightning. I read a compendium each day over the course of two days and then just had a lot of time to sit with my thoughts. I think for me, my... And not to spoil too much of further conversation... My relationship with evil Superman is much like everybody else. Omni-Man through the comics, Homelander through the brilliant boys television show. And I thought the Plutonian was someone who took a really interesting angle on that. I think he has more in common with a Homelander than he does an Mm Omni-Man. But he wasn't as much of a sociopath as... Uh, we'll talk about it later as much for the point of this statement as a like a nice guy who didn't get enough praise Mm -hmm. and i thought that that was an incredibly interesting angle to take on evil superman and if you're going to have anybody tackle these tropes these character archetypes there are few better than mark wade i thought that his writing was easily the standout of the series his collaborators came i wasn't wowed with the art at any given point but there were times that i was wowed by the writing and storytelling Mm -hmm. of of wade's plot and again we'll we'll get into all of that much later but those are my general opening thoughts yeah awesome thank you um i'm really glad both of you enjoyed it because like i said at the beginning this was one of my first forays into to independent comics and you know of course it was the one i picked because i got into comics really through cape shit so naturally i would have expanded outwards through um parallel cape shit and i remember talk like um what you said dallas i read through the series so quickly um i got the first volume when i was working at the library i took it home one night and i came back the next day and i took home the next nine volumes Cause I'm like, this is, I, I need to know, I need to know what happens. Um, it wasn't my first foray into that, that evil Superman genre. I think that was my first experience with that was like an in, injustice. And I knew that Ultraman was a thing from DC. It's funny that everyone does the, the evil Superman thing, but DC's done it like four or five different times. Um, but everyone else has done it better than DC has. 
Um, it's it was a story that really felt unhinged compared to everything else that I was reading. Where it's like you read a lot of super uh, superhero comics and you start to realize there are limits. There are things they can't do. There are things that can't be undone. And sometimes stories will try to touch on those, but they're typically the stories that people don't really like. You have to keep that status quo. And it's always fun to see a superhero universe where it's like, hey, all bets are fucking off. And what happens, happens. And Irredeemable had that sense of danger and excitement to me. And I remember reading it at the time and I was like, oh, wow, this is so this is so cool and edgy. And now looking back at it 10 years after I first read it, I'm like, oh, this is so funny because I think it's making fun of the cool and edginess that was going on in the 2000s and I just I didn't catch on to it at the time but um it's will you will you talk more about that because I might have been too stupid for the satire I saw your okay. tweets about this as a satire and I was like that was not what I was picking up and I'm so, fascinated by that read so talk I, to me about it I was thinking about it because honestly I could be wrong with that. I could 1000% be wrong. And Mark Wade's just like, here, I'm just playing into the the tropes there. But really the comic was playing up the tropes of the era. When I'm reading this comic, I was thinking a lot about the state of 2000 superhero comics, which I've I've talked about many times on the show about how difficult it was for me to get into comics at the time. Cause I felt like that, that gritty realness was very prevalent through a lot of different stories you had tales like Identity Crisis, where it's like, hey, what happens if the Justice League decided to mind wipe Batman after one of their villains sexually assaults someone in the Watchtower? Or something like um, Cry for Justice, where it's like, by the way, um, Roy Har- Harper just lost his arm and his daughter blew up. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? Isn't this the reason you read superhero comics? And stories like that were very prevalent. Um, Marvel had its whole um, jingoist era where it's just like hey isn't war cool we should do more war it's it's really great that war is happening and it's just it, it, you got a lot of comics like that this is the era where i feel like um creators like garth ennis were really really thriving and it's because they played into a lot of those tropes. his name out your motherfucking <laughs> no, you mouth you can't tell me i'm wrong though because he played into those stereotypes he did it well he he Keep arguably did it name well <laughs> out your motherfucking mouth <laughs> this you know is I'm... a preacher safe household <laughs> this is a hellblazer okay. praising household that's it uh, uh, this is hey. a sarah praising household <laughs> hey sarah's really really great um but it was though it was like that attitude the comics like hellraiser hellblazer um brought up in the late 90s that mainstream comics were like what if we try to bring this into the mainstream a little bit and they just half-assed it the whole way and just became really really gross and a lot of what happens in irredeemable reminds me of those those shock value moments that you would get in those um mid to late 2000 superhero comics from the big two especially and so i was thinking to myself where it's like is this mark wade just being like you know what this is what's hot right now so i'm gonna i'm gonna make it hot and shocking and and terrifying or is he it was it him going you know what um this is a detachment from everything that i love about superheroes and everything that you've that i've shown you that i love about superheroes from birthright to kingdom come so what if i just fully steer into this not because it's something that i think is cool but because it's what everyone else thinks is cool at the moment and to me that's that's what it 
felt like on this read through at least the first two i felt it was just like being edgy for the sake of being edgy but i'm like i feel like mark wade was smarter than that and i don't really have any evidence to back it up other than the fact that like i think mark wade was really thinking from a different perspective here and i was trying to put the context of the time in with the story which is something that i've never really done before but i figured looking back at it 10 years on it was something that was worth considering but again i could be completely talking out of my ass there and just kind of being like real hopeful whereas like mark way didn't really think this atheist line like really slapped right because it reminds me of something like a middle schooler would think is cool and honestly it does go a little hard but at the same time you know that that was my take i have no idea if i've swayed you either way but i like it what okay. do you think lex i got a lot of thoughts and i got a lot of names <laughs> written down on my piece of paper there are so many characters in this that's oh. the first that's my first takeaway well, i was like they really created a whole ass world just by themselves in this one ass book wow yeah the um the homages and the illusions are really really fun here the um the stand-ins for different superhero teams are are really great do we want to before we dive into all of them though do we want to focus first on on tony on dan on the plutonian and go a little bit into what we were talking about earlier and just kind of look at it from uh, a different angle and ask ourselves, why is the evil Superman trope so appealing? Why does it keep popping up? And what does the, pl- what does the Plutonian do that's different? What makes him stand out? I feel like I could talk a little bit about that. Cause I feel like I am starting to feel much more comfortable with this trope, if you will, because we've, I mean, we've read it a few times. We've, we've mm-hmm. found a couple evil Supermans in our, media of recently and i feel like they're all slightly different like we you you have said that like they're all slightly different they all have their own quirks and um i feel like i mean i kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier but like the fact that the plutonian's quirk if you will like his spin on the whole evil superman thing was that it was a psychological slow burn, if you will. Like it has always been there and it was kind of instilled into him as a very young child. Like I, especially, um, I mean, spoilers, we, we meet his quote unquote birth parents and like that whole chunk of like, of seeing him hopping around from um, house to house as a child, like being born to a, a woman who has extreme mental illness and a lot of struggles in her life and violent tendencies. Like she was, she in her moment of passion after the sad killing of her, her infant kind of brought him into fruition, if you will. And Mm -hmm. I find that very interesting that he was born on her intense emotion because that is what, I mean, that's what, his quote unquote birth parents said like, they're like, we were so fascinated by the human race and their intense emotions and their day-to-day life that like, we wanted to be a part of it and to just have it not necessarily blow up in their face, but like to find the dark underbelly of Mm -hmm. humankind was so interesting to me because that is something that millions of people struggle with. Millions of people have, mental illness they have dark 
emotional thoughts. They have struggles. They have all these things. And to just kind of use that as the lens of creating this super villain slow burn was really interesting to me because, I mean, to kind of use Homelander as the other kind of similar to him, because I feel like Omni-Man is his own little bubble elsewhere. He's he's there, mm-hmm. but he's not quite there. And to like see him and Homelander, um, Plutonian and Homelander, by each other, um, I feel like Homelander's, at least from what I have gotten from the TV show, this is my personal opinion, he kind of was like a snap decision. Like his was very uh-huh. quick, in my opinion, from what I watched on the show. But to like see Plutonian's slow burn from childhood and like him struggling and like living in the woods when he's like eight, like, you know, like constantly doing batshit crazy stuff to everyone and being like, why am I like, why am I getting in trouble? Why am I getting in trouble? Like, I'm just doing these things because I can. And then to finally kind of wrestle with his own internal, like his conscience, like him, him finding his conscience. I don't know why that was so funny to me. I was like, oh no, (laughs) he tried to kill this child in the woods. And he's like, oh no, that was a bad thing to do. I'm going to go straight. I was like, yeah, okay. You tiny criminal. But then to have him go into a, what he refers to as his loving home. Like he finds his parents. He finds the home that accepts him and loves him. And then to see the interesting relationship with his dad, like his mm-hmm. last, I can't remember their names, which is mm-hmm. bad, but um, like to have the childhood experiences where his dad was like accepting of his power, but then kind of twisting it in a way of like Mm -hmm. okay you have this great power so you have to do these good things but then like him quietly complaining to his wife that like the the people at the hospital that we donated these toys to were just so ungrateful they just did not they just did not Mm -hmm. show me the level of gratefulness that i wished like obviously he knows his child who has super hearing you'd think that he'd be able to hear that in his own Mm -hmm. house like you are taking these good acts and twisting them in a selfish way. And to see that be like his foundation of why he goes in such a way with his adulthood is mm-hmm. so interesting. It was so interesting yeah. to read. Like that really, that part where like he explains his childhood and like that relationship with his mm-hmm. parents really snapped in the series for me. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. This is something he's had for a long time. He's been mm-hmm. battling with this inside and it finally took over. I I thought all of the flashbacks that he had, <clears throat> excuse me, were really, really great. And especially, I love that you brought up that the one dad really drove home like, hey, they were so ungrateful we did this. But he kept pushing like, you should help people. <clears throat> and I think that really instilled in the Plutonian who, as we established, was a character who was born from brokenness. And I think from that perspective really represents a lot of where humanity comes from, where it's like all of us kind of inherit a little bit of the trauma of the generations that come before all of us inherit a little bit of that badness. And we have to figure out what to make of it, how to break free of that. And if we even do break free of it, but I love the fact that the Plutonian is taught from an early age, the goodness is something that you need to do because 
you should others should feel grateful for it because it's something that you have the responsibility for because it's going to give something to you and that makes it make a lot of sense <clears throat> why later when he feels like he's not getting that gratitude not getting that respect and he feels like if he makes that one mistake if he messes up one time it that's it that's the end of it no one's gonna be grateful to him ever again it's the idea of doing good for reward instead of doing good for good sake and i think that's the the real cool thing that separates the plutonium from like a character like Superman, who is definitely a character who's like, I do good for the sake of it's being a, I'm, I'm being a good person. I'm doing the, the right thing versus the plutonium who's like, I expect people to say, we love you. I expect to find my place by doing these good things. It's going to give me something that's going to give me that, that sense of belonging. And it's what makes it's the, it's the difference between a character that breaks and a character that doesn't, I think. Dallas, passing it on to you, what do you think makes the Plutonian different? I think you nailed it right on the head. This idea of doing your good works to be seen. Mm-hmm. Like, even in the moments when he is a good guy and flashbacks in this book, it is very clear that he does this for himself and to feel good about himself. And as someone who spends a lot of time thinking about Christianity and how it was created, what it's become. I think one of the biggest regular misses of Christians, myself included, is this exact concept of like the central tenet of this worldwide religion is to go about doing good without the intent of being congratulated for it. Mm-hmm. And that is so rare. And like, it's rare within myself. I am notorious for wanting to be thanked and praised for going above and beyond. Like I, not a good quality of Dallas's. And so it was really interesting to see that ramped up to the, 25th degree with the plutonian where there is someone who has such a capacity for good that it creates such a gaping hole inside of him of desire to have that good reflected back on him mm-hmm. that ultimately could never be filled like no one could ever give back to him what he was expecting and i think that's so interesting coming this christological lens of the plutonian is so interesting coming from mark wade who spent time writing kingdom come which is one of the foundational Superman as a Christological figure texts, fulfilling that role of Jesus in the mm-hmm. Apocalypse of John. So it's, I, I don't always love Superman as Jesus as a trope, but where Mark Waite has already tilled that soil and done it well, it was very interesting to see this not only be bad Superman, but bad messianic Superman that Mark Waite does so well. And that ultimately made it hit a lot closer to home for me than any of the other super people. Like I've never been Mm -hmm. Omni man, like thinking of my wife as a pet. Like I, I love her. I love the human race around me. I feel a lot of Mm -hmm. companionship. I am not Homelander. I'm not an incel. I don't hate women and minorities. And, but there was a touch of Plutonian in me. I think this Mm -hmm. is the first time that the evil Superman was like, Oh, Oh, that's a kind of evil. That's a kind of breaking bad that could happen to me. Like, okay. Uh-oh. Oops. I love that. I love that so much. Oh, 
I, I keep thinking good is good in the final hour in the darkest pit without hope, without witness, without reward. And that's from Doctor Who. That was that was all that conversation made me that reminded me of. I, I love I love that. Per, the Sorry, I love that perspective. Um, yeah, I, I would have to agree with both of you. It's just, I, I think the thing that makes the evil Superman trope so appealing is the fact that he is consistently utilized as that symbol for all that we can be. And I feel like there's a, a huge drive with a lot of people who can feel intimidated by that notion <clears throat> to want to bring Superman back down to our level to a place where he can fail, where he can have these moments of weakness and these moments of selfishness. And I think even more so than just his powers, I think that's the scariest thing about him. I think that's the scariest thing about this whole trope. I think it's why the trope keeps happening because it's a constant look at ourselves because we are constantly in that place. I think of failing to be Superman. Like, the whole question of the book is like, can anyone truly be irredeemable? And I see so much of humankind in the Plutonian as this entity that has so much unbridled power, so much unbridled potential and can do so much good in the world, but just gets completely corrupted and dragged down by greed and a complete callousness and lack of care for human life. And I, I feel like it's a, one of the things that makes this comic like evergreen to me is that perspective of like, hey, you know, post nuclear um, madness, this power that we have unleashed and the size and strength that the human race is at now, is it possible for us to turn around and to to put that back in the bottle? I like to think that the series is talking about us and being like, is anyone irredeemable? Are we irredeemable? Because we've done things just as bad as the Plutonian has, and we have the potential to do worse. And so I think out of all the Superman tropes, all the evil Superman tropes that have happened, I think that's why the Plutonian for me, especially is the one that like just keeps nagging it like the nagging it like the edge of my mind, you know, it's, I, I just think it's the the most fascinating one out there. And I'm, I'm so glad that you two like this series too, because I was definitely reading through it. And I'm like, I have no idea if this is going to hold up as well as I thought it would. So uh, it was just, it was definitely moments caked in the 2000s, but otherwise I'm, I'm glad that that, that shined through. So going on, if we want to talk a little bit about the, um the fun justice league homages and just, in general, talked enough about like the symbolism of the Plutonian. If we want to talk just a little bit about the the fun side characters that we get to see through the story and what they meant. Because I, for one, love Cubit, our fun little Doctor Who stand-in through the story. Our fun little Doctor Who, Mr. Terrific, Mr. Fantastic, is too smart for his britches um, main character. Which I thought was an excellent touch because you... You know, you have an evil Superman story half the time. It's like, oh, they got to have that the Batman who's going to oppose him. Right. And then Mark Wade very smartly is like, no, that's not it. You got to If you're going to have the biggest brawn on the planet go bad, the only person to stand against him is clearly going to be the biggest brain. And so I loved loved Cubit being that main heroic protagonist for us through this entire story. I agree. I think when 
Grant Morrison and Klaus said, do you know what is the most like Superman? Doctor Who. They went so hard with that. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with you that ultimately Sherlock Holmes, I'm sorry, I mean Batman. Batman, that's an original character. That's not a knockoff of anyone. Certainly not someone from Baker Street. Definitely not. The world's greatest detective is ultimately not the counterpoint to Superman that a Doctor Who stand-in can be. And I think that is brilliant. I think, for me, it all came together when David Tennant made those portals for the bullets to Mm -hmm. miss the Plutonian, slam into the devil, and then back into his hand. I was like, okay, this guy, this guy hits. Mm-hmm. This guy hits. Okay, all right. This guy hits. Like, he was just so fun. Such a great moment. When he had that bullet back in his hand, my soul left my body. I was like, oh no. <laughs> this this is the one we got to worry about. This one. Everybody else is mid, is mid in this book. This is the spooky little skinny guy. Got to watch him. <laughs> he has crazy hair. Mm-hmm. He's got some crazy thoughts. I feel like his hair I, got more outrageous the longer this book went. I love his hair so much. I it's, it's just whing. it's so David Tennant coded. It's yes. so David Tennant coded. It's it's crazy. But I also I love that between Cubit and Caden, I think they're the only two characters throughout this entire thing to hold on to their moral code throughout the entire story. I think we get between all the other members of the paradigm. And, um, you know, even the villains that come in at the um, the offset after Plutonians left the planet for space jail. Um, I love seeing how all these different characters shift in different ways. Like, we see a lot of villains get worse and grow to despise each other. And we see some of these villains not really get better, but be like, you know what? I can I can hang out here for a while. It's pretty chill. I'm, I sure hope no bad guys return and turn me into a shooting star later. That'd be awful. So fucked up. Can we talk about the second evil Superman in this series? Yes. Because the opening evil Superman, uh, Plutonian, I was like, damn, cool premise. And then when I got to watch the slow burn second evil Superman, whose name escapes me, I'm sorry. I I should have remembered that. I should have remembered that. (laughs) Take away my I read the Odyssey card. Um... I even read Madeline Miller's Circe, which is much better book than the Odyssey. Take Very that, good. Homer. Ooh, hot take. Um, not if you read them both. Take. Come That's on, girl. Take. Come on, girl. You said follow the cranky man or his evil witch. I pick the evil witch every evil time. Witch. You know I love an evil woman. Um, True. Yeah, Charybdis. He sucked. Such major donkey. <laughs> And every decision he made, I was like, shut up. Shut up with what you're doing. Stop it right now. And then when Angel Vandal Savage was like, bitch, I said what I said. And then killed Charybdis <laughs> in the back. He's like, I paint the town red. And then they're like, you can't paint the town red. The fact that you know that song. They, you killed the powers. <laughs> you know what we got is a no, all we got is a holy man. And he's over there like, I'm not even a blind holy man. I'm not a daredevil stand-in. I'm just some priest. How, anyway, how good was that reveal? Relevant. 
Back to irrelevance. <laughs> well, because I was a little frustrated. It felt like it got foggy there in the middle. I was like, no, yeah. the powers come from him. What are you talking about? Like, I thought we were in the middle of a retcon, and I was like, Mark Wade, jump off a of short bridge. Like, <laughs> I love you. Just like a 10 footer. Like, jump <laughs> off a short hurt. bridge. Like, it's not going to hurt, but like, it'll scare you. <laughs> That's, I felt so frustrated. I was like, no, I made a point to remember these damn ass powers that make no sense, Mark. And then Mark. you're going to retcon it on me. And then he was like, no, that was just a little pump fake. He went, ah, ah, we're going right. Oh, no, we're, we're still going left. But I, oh, it kind of broke your ankles a little bit. And then Angel Vandal Savage was like, Arr! yeah, when they cut that guy's wings off, he became irrelevant immediately. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then also when Superman's gay Joker was like, this lady that you were banging crazy, I want you to bang me that crazy. But then also she was terrible at her powers. She was yeah, all, no shit. All boobs, no brain. And I was like, just like me. me too. Just like me for real. <laughs> just like She's me for terrible, real. her power. He's like, she could create black holes. And she was like, pew, pew, look how I burn bullets. <laughs> He's like, you idiot. You could do this to get railed by, by Superman. <laughs> Yo, when he was like, I got black power, black hole powers to get my black hole. And I was like, what is happening in this book? And <laughs> that was Bananaman. <laughs> Oh my god! It was there was there's so much you just said that I can't even I can't even talk about. I, I want to talk about the fact that um, the, if you ask Betty or Bet, um, Gilgamesh definitely lost irrelevancy before he lost his wings because that's when she was boning Mister Superman over here. No, she said uh, five thousand years was not enough to learn how to dick down. Apparently. <laughs> He was still hitting it ragtime after 5,000 years. Leave his ass. He'll never learn. Just imagining like, that man, every time he goes to bed, is like the first time we see Jason Momoa in Game of Thrones. Just that's that's it. That's the whole, that's that's everything. He has not learned a single thing. Do you think like, if you're, so th- hear me out. Yeah. You're dating mm-hmm. someone who is 5,000 years old. Yeah. Do you even try to correct them at that point? Or are you like, this, these are some deep rooted tracks like you're not getting better because like i my wife definitely took me on as a work in progress right like she has through sheer willpower created the kind of man she wanted she was like we got some wet clay here wet clay with a decent enough personality but like let's get to work you come up you pull up on an angel that's like i knew adam and eve he's not changing like his, he's leaving the toilet seat up. He's been doing it for forty three hundred years. He's not putting the toilet seat down. When they invented the toilet seat, he put it up. He might have invented that. Or she's like, "You're being a little bit of a misogynist," and he's like, "I would have owned you if you were my fourteenth wife ago." Like she's like, "What?" And he's like, "Women are property." You're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, there, angel." It's like I was there when they wrote the Bible. I invented misogyny. Like. Ultimately, yeah. yeah, leave him for evil Superman is what I'm saying. <laughs> Guy who looks like he's like, 35 but acts like your grandpa's grandpa. Yeah, no, that's also, um, not even not even a hot 35. I was like, mm-hmm. all that time, and that's how you look <clears throat> brutal. But I don't know. I loved when the other superheroes are like, bro, you would have thought after all this time, you never been dumped before because I was a little bit like, it's gonna derail your whole life. That someone cheated on you that's never come up before. 
You're the craziest man alive. <laughs> You're going to go walk across the United States and have an internal monologue. <laughs> Nobody knows. He straight up, he turned on Green Day and he's like, I walk a lonely road. You know, and they're like, like, I don't know how to book a flight. <laughs> it's like zoomed really in on him and he's all alone. And then they pan the camera back and all the rest of the paradigm's like, where are you going? <laughs> He's only made it 30 feet down the road. We are fighting bad guys. Come back. And he's like, the only road that I have ever known. Criminal. Yo, and then Bet was like, I'm going to go hang out in a pool with a bunch of hot guys that want to boink me. And I was like, she's the only smart person on this planet. <laughs> she's got it figured out. Like, if I'm sorry. If evil Superman was like, I rule the planet now, I wouldn't be like, I bet my random wing powers can help. No way. I'd be like, who wants to have sex with a superhero? (laughs) It's the end of the world. We're going out in style. This is the classic zombie apocalypse problem. When we talk about The Walking Dead on the show, we'll get into this. I am kicking every rusty nail I see. I'm not living. I'm not. I talked about this with my mom. Like, apocalypse. If there's a nuclear blast going off, I'm walking. Yeah. If there's a nuclear blast going off, I'm walking into it. I'm not going to survive off green beans expired eight years ago. I'm not doing it. When did you have time to talk about this with mom? It comes up. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, this hey, Dallas, how's the city? You're like, you know, I just walk into a nuclear explosion, by the way. That's the first She'd thing I'm doing. go hand in hand with you, though. <laughs> I'm, not doing it. I'm not doing the green beans. We bonded over being yeah. like, we're too soft for the apocalypse. <laughs> Whereas, like, our dad, dad, dad would, would do a diehard for spite. He'd be the last man alive, angry, <laughs> living frowning in our in attic, the frowning in the woods, surviving fine. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, That's I true. totally derailed that. Back to the, back to the Plutonian. <laughs> Got a candle for Dickon. Speaking of Dickon, do we want to talk about um, <laughs> this man's Lex Luthor? Do we want to talk about Modius a little bit? <sighs> When that guy was like, my whole personality is whole, I was like, relatable. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the it's dream of everyone. It's that, that moment where the subtext between hero and arch enemy becomes sub, not just subtext, becomes actual text. And he's like, I fucking love you. And I want you to fucking dick me down so hard. The gasp that left my body when it finally all fell into pieces. I was like, Oh, gasp that left his body. Gasp that left his body. When you find out he was building sex bots, wild, crazy, wild. Imagine you're Peter Parker, and this whole time Doc Ock has just had a hard on for you. Oh. that'd be way crazier than hard on for your 850 year old aunt. That is a real storyline from a Spider-Man comic. I know that cover that was in the visual dictionary. I've known that cover since I was seven. I, the arc I went on with Aunt May from, gosh, she's so old. I wish she would die to, why hasn't she died to? It's so funny. She hasn't died. (laughs) Aunt May has been dying for 60 years. Her second Mm -hmm. appearance, Peter is late coming home and she's in the hospital. (laughs) Well, Peter has to go to the hospital to be like, I'm That's so me. sorry. I was late coming home. That's the funniest thing a parent's ever done. He, he looked at this decrepit old woman and is like, yeah, I give my marriage up for that. And she's got another 60 years in her at least. She's got another six minutes at best, Mary Jane. Sorry. 
<laughs> I don't think the Plutonian would have done that. Plutonian would have pushed Aunt May into the East River. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. It's Modeus was fun. There's okay. Sorry, my, I got completely sidetracked for a second. I had a question I wanted to ask because did you read? I. Lexi, I'm not sure if you did, but I have a feeling that Dallas did. Did you read the afterword by Grant Morrison after the end of the first issue? No. <sighs> I'm not doing extra reading. Not even for Grant? <laughs> no, Turn I read their blog. Me. I read their insane blog and lose respect for them every week and love it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm plugged in enough. I'm plugged in enough. Okay, so in that, he talks um, a little bit about some of the things that inspired the story. He was talking about how Mark Wade was talking to him about the invention of the internet and how like going on to the um, internet felt to him a lot like activating the, um, the phantom zone tele um, gun from Superman, where it's just all of a sudden you empty this open black void full of the worst people you've ever met in your entire life. And they're just all around you and you feel your soul getting sucked away and he's like, that's what the internet is to me. And I'm like, you've never been more right in your entire life. And one of the things that he wanted to talk about was like the idea that you, everyone has those descriptors added to them. Everyone gets the one thing they're known for. And um, so my thing was, I think a lot about the scene between Charybdis and Cubit, where Cubit's helping out all these people, but then the moment the Charybdis is like, hey, by the way, you know he saved the Plutonian, and all of a sudden everyone turns on him so suddenly, and they forget everything that he just did. Do you feel like that is apt commentary still for how the internet talks about different individuals today, or do you... Bro, when he, when, when he said Zebwell's Spider-Man good, and they all tried to kill him... <laughs> That was crazy. That was crazy. I was like, damn, Mark Wade opened your third eye and saw the mm-hmm. future, huh? Is Doctor Who said, I'm actually a pretty big fan of this Spider-Man comic that's going on right here. And they crucified him? That's crazy. Thank goodness that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. The internet's gotten way chiller since oh, yeah. <laughs> we can all agree. Internet? Way Mellow. chiller now. Mm-hmm. Full of chillers, frankly. Lexi, any thoughts? If the internet single-handedly can force Chip Zdarsky into the woods, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> that man living in the woods from the internet. And I might I might join him. Thank you. <laughs> very, very well said. It was it was it was just something that was on my mind. Um I, like shout I, out I to our audience that we got from the internet. Yeah. Like, thanks. Thanks, Bestie. I'm glad you guys are here. Not you. We're talking about the other girls. You're not like other girls. <laughs> You're not the other girls. Our entire audience. You don't write articles about us. It's fine. Yeah, unless you're the one-star reviews, like our dad. You... We can't say our only one-star reviews are dad anymore. Jerks. Wait, your dad gave us a one-star review? Because he yes. thought you had to drag the stars to get five. Yeah, and you so had he to click each one. one. And then pushed submit and went, oh, no. <laughs> our father... One star. We've always had one one star review. It was Adam Taylor trying to be supportive. Didn't even listen to it. He just rated it. (laughs) That's so fucking funny. He also wears headphones upside down. So we don't know what else to expect from him. Listen, like, hey, 
He is an evil Superman. I can field dress a deer in 15 minutes, but he cannot figure out how to give a five-star review to a podcast. Mm -mm. Too hard. Seen him turn a pigeon inside out with his bare hands, but watching him put headphones on upside down and suction cupping the wires to the top of his head so he had a Teletubby-like antenna off the top. (laughs) Oh, funny. Okay, before we move on to the characters, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the pacing of the story, and we talk a little bit about the art too. Um, what character or what idea stood out as the coolest to you? Because I personally love Caden's powers so much to just turn ghost stories into um, so cool. little allies. I agree. I feel like Hers she was, was the, the only coolest. Yeah, she was the only one I couldn't like find like that perfect like analogy. In Marvel or DC, she just felt like her own fun thing, and I wish we got more of her. She was she was sick. I so agree. When she revived her boyfriend and was like, "No, please don't go back into the into the into the afterworld," I was like, "Girl, me too. Don't let him die. Mm-hmm. He can't escape you." <clears throat> the The moment she realized that everyone the Plutonian killed, she could bring back. That, that went hard. Is, that was wonderful. That did go hard. That did go hard. Pretty dank. Pretty dank. <laughs> I personally didn't like any of them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Ghost Stories was cool. I really did. Like, I made a joke about it earlier, but when the supervillain took over the gravitational pole girl, mm-hmm. I thought that was dope. I oh, One yeah. of my complaints about the story actually was the... Mm, I feel like we spent a lot of time with everybody and I didn't get to know them that well. Does that make sense? Like I was about Mm -hmm. to say, oh, I don't feel like I got enough time with all these other characters other than the Plutonian. And that's not true. I spent almost every issue with all of them. And yet I don't remember almost any of their names. Their powers are like pretty vague to me. Their character motivations are pretty vague to me. They very much felt like set dressing to the drama of the Plutonian. Mm-hmm. Other than like Charibdis and Doctor Who and Gay Lex Luthor. Like those three people, I understood why they were doing what they were doing. And I they are going to be the memorable characters. Mm-hmm. They were doing something unique and interesting where like Gravity Girl, Ghost Girl, the I Walk a Lonely Road Angel like they could have not been in the story, frankly, and like it wouldn't have changed that mm-hmm. much. And that felt a little strange from Mark Wade. And we'll talk a little bit more when you talk about pacing of this story, a few more of my things that keep this a great but not like jaw dropping comic. Yeah. Like I I hope it's been clear over the last fifty minutes. I had a blast reading this. I've had a lot of fun talking about it, but like there were some some real things for me that I was like, huh, I expect more from Mark Wade. Mm-hmm. And then also just like, I guess this is why you play with other people's toys. Like there are some people whose talent is genuinely playing with the big two's toys. Mm-hmm. And, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. In a minute. No, I think those are all incredibly valid critiques and I think I would share them. Um, Lexi, any other cool people you wanted to shout out? You want, you want to give a shout out to your friend, the demon? <laughs> Ryan, what a baddie. I don't well, know why. 
Dallas, you know how I read his voice every time I saw him on page? That Shaggy. little Yes. <laughs> yes. I also read him as the Griffin from Quest for Camelot. <laughs> he had the same oh, face. He, he had the same face. face. He had the same <laughs> damn face. Me wish I precisely. Yeah, that's how he sounds. Yep. Everybody go watch that movie. That is a really good lens into Dallas and I's childhood right there. Yeah, if that you were movie. Like, where did the Taylor kids come from? We were raised by Quest for Camelot and Elf. Yep. Those two movies. <laughs> and the last Amalgam unicorn. Comics created us. I never liked The Last Unicorn. It always, I Dollar bin movies. <laughs> this is going to be the most out-of-pocket thing I've said all episode, but... <laughs> The last unicorn felt queer coded in a way I couldn't resonate with, whereas He Man felt queer coded in a way I could resonate with. <laughs> the last unicorn is where watching... my bisexuality came from. Every time you were watching The Last Unicorn, I was like, this feels like some lesbian shit. Like, I didn't know that word yet, but I was, I was like, this feels hmm. weird. Eh, not, not for me. I'm going to go look up He Man's skirt some more. I don't know. His first skirt. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we were turning that first skirt inside out. Oh, oh my god! That representation yeah, no. Have? Orion is the <laughs> he's a Griffin. He was interested in the other hole from Gay Lex Luthor. He was always <laughs> coming out mouths. Every time he was coming out mouths, I was like, the throat goat, that demon. He was sliding out of people like they were sleeping bags. That was crazy. I was like. It was an artist or Mark Wade that was like, what if we just unzipped people like sleeping bags? Because jail time. Jail time. Um, those claws came up out of people's maws. and Like, you know the sound was... When they had to draw sticks. Oh, my God. <laughs> when they had to be that guy, be like, son of a bitch, read it! Read it! And then you were like, that one random just like people two people being like what's up where's where's some hood youth yeah. and it was like <laughs> oh like, yeah and then what's his face and he was like they were pedophiles does that make it okay and he like looks at the camera with one eye open <laughs> i was like i don't know I'm never going to have to wrestle with whether or not turning someone into a slinky doll is going to be ethical, Mark Wade. Oh. Like, I'm never going to old tube sock somebody. Oh Bust out the elastic of someone named Karen. Like, I'm not doing that, Mark really? Wade. This is I've not a twice real... this week. Damn. You have a very different sex life from me. Woo. <laughs> Just some slippery yep. meat sacks at the end of that demon. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, this world is so messed up. Okay. <laughs> I I loved, loved whenever they were on like Earth and they were doing fun superhero shit like that, where it's like, let's all the weird shit we can do with the genre, let's do it. I do feel like it lost a little bit when it went into space, which brings me into the next part, which is pacing and what the story did well and what it didn't do very well. Because I'm going to say right off the bat, I think what this book does amazingly is it ends every issue want, making you want to keep going. It ends with a great hook almost every single time. I've never seen a comic cliffhang the way this comic cliffhangs. There's so many 
jaw-dropping moments at the end where you're just like, holy shit, I cannot believe that that was said or that happened, and I really want to see what happens next. I think that was that was wonderful. But I will agree with um, a lot of people on this book and say that I do feel like the book sort of gets to a point, and that point is when the Vesper, or what, Vesper? Is that what they were called? The aliens. The bug aliens. The Vespas. The Vespas. When they come down and take him away to space Arkham Asylum, I feel like the story kind of meanders after that for a while, and then it takes a while for it to get back on track. But then for like the last four issues is like, bam, straight to the finish line. But I want to know if that is a perspective shared by the rest of you. Yeah, I definitely felt like I was... My mind wandered during the space stuff. Mm-hmm. Um I I didn't really like the characters that we were introduced to in Space Arkham Asylum. They were not my favorite. Specifically, that Cutter Lady. Mm-hmm. Hated her. I was like, I wish I could scrub that out of my mind. Yep. Hate that. But, yeah, no. Because, I, yeah, I feel like everything that happened on Earth, I was like, this is good. I like this. But not in space. I did like his little twinkle happy thoughts coma that he had though that was kind of fun (laughs) that's what i was gonna say is it felt like that time inside the head of plutonian was essential and interesting but the outside of the plutonian both back on earth and in space was boring as hell like i was Mm -hmm. i was like listen mark wade i grab him by the shoulders i say thanks so much for all the great comics mark i read starman too you're not him. You're not that guy. You're not James Robinson. You're not going to make a whole extended space arc interesting. Especially with 37 issues. Like, just take one on the chin. Oh, this book could have been 24 issues and mm-hmm. been amazing. Or 60 issues and been amazing. But 37 issues was the weirdest length for this book. Mm-hmm where it felt like we overstayed the general premise and never set up anything better yeah, to carry us to 37. Yeah. Like when we zigged and didn't kill him, we teleported the bullet away. I was like, oh, great, interesting. And then we just kind of like... <laughs> until we did kill him. And granted, we killed him in a fascinating, interesting, cool way. But, like, for 15 issues there, like, the first half of the second compendium, I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? Yeah. I I would definitely, definitely agree. I think it's interesting because he was doing Irredeemable and Incorruptible at the same time. Back-to-back sister series coming out, like, the same the same month. Issue by issue, they were, they were side by side. And this critique I hear a lot for Irredeemable that it just kind of like hit that spot and then it's like it's all over the place and don't know when it's going to find it. There we go. We found it at the end. But Incorruptible doesn't really hit that. Incorruptible, I think, has the benefit of being completely earthbound and unlike Irredeemable where it's like, hey, all this shit's changing the planet. Incorruptible focused on like that one set character and what he was doing. And so the focus was more narrow. And I feel like Irredeemable just was too big for its britches and Mark Wade just was like, I don't know what to do now this book was a hit i didn't expect it to be this big a hit i got to figure out something to do that that's what it feels like to me 
But I will stand by the fact that like he still somehow managed to make every issue end with a really interesting hook. Yeah, I mean, the craft is there. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a well-made comic book. It just... I don't think it's a masterpiece. But that kind of makes it more fun to talk about on this show. Yeah. Like, I... Uh, how do I say this? Mark Wade's current book with Dan Mora mm-hmm. demonstrates how much better a comic is when it has a brilliant artist on it and Mm -hmm. there is no amount of interesting writing that will save a mediocre artist but they're a great artist can be on a crappy script and it will be still Mm -hmm. interesting and i was just like there wasn't a single page of irredeemable that i thought wow this is better than passable like, it was clearly professional work. The storytelling mm-hmm. was there. It, full disclosure, better than anything I can draw. But I, there was not a stylistic drive behind yeah. this art that <clears throat> I found interesting. Like, it just felt aggressively house style. Yep, that's that's the one. I feel like <clears throat> you can be a great artist. You can be a wonderful artist. I think that Peter Krause is a great artist. But if you have a style that is so just normal I, I i want a better word to describe it than normal but it's just like this feels like typical 2000s comic fair tm and there would be moments where the artist would change to um diego i forget his last name but his first name is diego and it would take me a second because i'm like i i didn't even realize i, I felt like something might have been different but i didn't even realize because it just switches from one i love the term house style it switches from one house style to the next house style and nothing feels stylistic enough to make this feel like its own unique voice. It feels like you can lose this comic in the just the mire of everything and you wouldn't even notice. It just it doesn't stand out beyond its premise, which is which is, you know, disappointing. But it's it, it is interesting to just see how much an artist can affect the voice of a comic. What did you think of the art, Lex? Honestly, I have no complaints. I thought it was fun. I feel like I feel like a villain because I won't be able to differentiate. Because there was a couple artists, correct? They were very similar. They yeah, were very I, similar. Like it took me to, a second to realize that there had been a shift. Literally, the only thing that tipped me off was that uh, Bet or Betty's hair was a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. A little more wispy and not a fuck ass bob. <laughs> it was important for her to have a fuck ass bob. She was rocking a fuck ass bob at the beginning, but it was per- for her character growth to get grow out her bob. But that's the only thing that tipped me off was like I liked her design a little bit better later from the other artist. But I it took me a minute to realize that there there had been a change. So yeah, well done, thanks. Okay. They really did. Like, as far as two artists on one book went, like, they matched that style. Yeah. This was not yep. Corey Walker, great. Ryan Otley, sharp record scratch whenever we switch back and forth. <laughs> the pay- the chapters that they did, or issues they did together, like, I, it was very hard for me to differentiate when each artist was running. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. I just, 
I was artistically disappointed with this book. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I would. I would agree. Does anyone have any final thoughts for the collective perspective before we move on to our listener questions? I feel like, in my opinion, because I obviously wasn't reading comics during the Dark Ages, which is the early 2000s, <laughs> but as I, you know, was a child. But I feel like, from compared to the other stuff that we have read and we have talked about, I feel like this held up relatively well. There are moments that are like, okay, but relatively, I feel like it was good. It was great. I feel like I could hand this to somebody and be like, this is good. You'd like it, probably. But yeah, it's not amazing. It's not like jaw-dropping, hold the door, this will change your life. But I think it's good, especially for the evil Superman trope. I think it's great. Awesome. Dallas. I like a lot of early 2000s comics. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> there are a lot of comics that came out right there that I really like. Um, like Bendis. Basically everything Brian Michael Bendis made. Like I, I like it. I'm yeah. a mark. It was all very good. Um, I thought Irredeemable was a blast. I had been looking forward to this episode for a long time. I've known it's coming. I know this is a book Anne loves. And I was excited and happy to love it, too. I always love when I get to love one of Anne's books. And I think this is one of the most interesting takes on Evil Superman, like you said. I think it's a great companion piece to something like Invincible or the television show The Boys. If you love that flavor, absolutely read Irredeemable. It will give you that in spades. And some really, really creative superheroing. I think one of Mark mm -hmm. Wade's greatest talents is his ability to just think of wacky Silver Age premises and sell them with the grounded gravitas of a modern comic book. Yeah. And it's just delightful. And it comes in this book in spades. Like, there are so many just, wow, only in a superhero comic. We defeat, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I won't spoil it, but the way they defeat the Plutonian feels like it came out in 1965, but also felt innovative, fun, and interesting mm -hmm. right now. And that was great. I was just remembering the children's plague. And that was one of the, that was one of the craziest moments I've seen in any superhero comic ever. And I could have very blissfully left that out of my mind to this moment. My head emptied that as soon as it went in. <laughs> that was that was one of those moments that definitely hits like real hard the first time, and then the second time you're like, "Yeah, hell yeah, dead kids, yeah, let's go." Yeah, this, like his little museum that he made. <laughs> oh my god, everything in this book is just, <laughs> just the ache, the the the, the room dedicated. Fort. Oh my, the the room dedicated to bat. Oh my god. Okay, awesome. I'm so glad you two enjoyed it. The first question comes from Owen. Hello, Comics Collective. Irredeemable is one of those books where when you first hear the premise, what if Superman went bad, you have an idea. You think you have an idea what the book is about. But when you actually read the book, it manages to do something really unique and interesting with the concept. 
Mark Wade is one of those writers where he just gets Superman. And if you were to do a story about an evil Superman or Superman analog, it would make sense that it comes from someone who has an intrinsic understanding of the character. As for what my question is, do you think Irredeemable is one of those stories that should remain on the comic page? Or do you think an adaptation could be cool? Like the one that is being developed by... Um, James Samuel, Ken Powers, and Jay-Z. That is such a random assortment of names over at Netflix. Much love, Owen Saylor. What? Oh, shit. If we got Jay-Z attached, we're we're set. This is going to be the, the adaptation of all time, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, I do not I... care for adaptations. We know this about Dallas. I'm bowing out. <laughs> yeah. Do not care about adaptations. Thank you. Mute. I also am kind of in that boat. I'm like, leave things how they were created. Thank you. Say, I'm I'm okay. I would be okay with an adaptation. I don't feel like it would have enough in it to stand out right now in the the noise, the very loud noise that is Invincible and the boys, though. I'm not mm-hmm. sure what an adaptation of this specific story could bring to the table that those aren't. I feel like if Netflix pushes forward on this, it's going to go the way of Jupiter's legacy and be something that pops out. And then everyone forgets happened five minutes later, especially mm-hmm. because it's Netflix and Netflix can't market a, anything to save their goddamn lives. And they kicked me off my damn mom's plan. That too. Assholes. That too. We can't but adapt it because Lexi can't watch it. <laughs> exactly. I love that. I'm I don't know how that happened. And I didn't get kicked off. I literally live 15 minutes from my mother and Dallas lives across the entire continent. <laughs> And he's not kicked off. Although they knew, they knew. I was, was I was thinking earlier about like some of the fun things you could do if you adapted this, and I'm like, I would like to see more in like Caden's story. And it's like, couldn't if Caden can bring back all those heroes that she lost? Couldn't she tell a story about the Plutonian city and bring back an army of the people that he killed? Because that could be interesting. Yes. But she otherwise, have her own show. <laughs> Just her. I think that would be the one benefit an adaptation could bring to the story. I feel like we talked a little bit about those characters. Like, we, we've we been with them the whole time, but we didn't really get to know them. If you told a story that would flesh out these characters more, these side characters, the paradigm more, I feel like that would be a worthwhile adaptation. Yeah. But only if we had the promise that it would the do that. I love to know more about the Wonder Triplets. <laughs> those three. Love to know what our, our angel has on his Spotify most played. <laughs> I walk alone. Uh, he loves Nickelback. I oh my god, yes he does. He looks like he likes Nickelback. He loves <laughs> Fart Rock. He loves Fart Rock. Him and Anne can swap playlists. Mm. Jesus Christ. Do you want to read the <laughs> next question, Dallas? Dallas. <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> Fart Rock Anne, coming at you live. <laughs> From 95.3, The Bulge. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Why does she work at a station called The Bulge? Ugh. My dad you know, like, definitely listened to that... those stations. I remember those stations <laughs> from my childhood. That's all that's in Ohio. Rest in peace. Ooh, this one's for all you Buckeyes out there. I'm through with Shannon and Lan. And Anne's like, throws up some horns and just rocks um, her head back and forth. So mad. <laughs> you can't even say shit. Um, <laughs> I can't. Zach says, all right. Not going to ramble on so much, so I'll skip straight to the question. Zach, that's why you're our favorite. What with the what with the whole evil Superman trope being practically done to death? 
What other tropes similar to it do you want to see explored more? Firstly, I think a depressed Superman could be interesting. Imagine the Injustice universe, but instead of killing the Joker, Superman just sits in the Fortress of Solitude, all depressed, not going out, and the League helps him out. Anyway, Pretty sure that's just Astro City. <laughs> yeah, that's A, Astro City. Also, that's Avengers Endgame. Um, and Zach says, anyway, cannot wait to listen to the episode. I love when you cannot do things. Zach, thank you. Thank you so much for your part of the world. If you could send in a recording of you saying aluminum and shallot, if you could say, I love when I'm watching cooking tutorials and they go, and then you add a shallot. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you idiots. don't. <laughs> Are you so bad? Aluminium. Aluminium. Where'd that extra I come from, dumbass? <laughs> you invented this language and you're bad at it. You know, she invented soccer. You're bad at that. You know, she invented imperialism. Somehow bad at that. Your best years are behind you, idiots. Everything bad about us, we learn from you. What? Anyway, what do you want to do with evil Superman or other tropes? I think the British are an overused trope. <laughs> Dallas, Taylor. Check just... yourself. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> Zach, Zach I am is just... a loyal listener. Zach, please. <laughs> Zach, we love you. It's just your island. <laughs> oh. What's funny is like 30% of our listenership is British, and this isn't the first time I've done this. So they've got thick skin. They need to you just, ward off you, the rain, I guess. You just talked about that island like you were the Plutonian looking at Indonesia. Oh, no. no. <laughs> uh, what tropes are overused? Superheroes getting kids. There we go. Mm. Oh, that's that'll the one? Start, Parenthood. I'll start some discourse. <laughs> oh, I got one. The the depowering trope. I It's like, hey, you know what's going to make the superhero real relatable? What if we just make them just like us? It's going to be great. No, that's not mm. why I'm here. I came here to see the superhero be super. I don't mm. care about Dave, the the regular guy whose Green Lantern ring no longer works. That I'm not here for that. I, I came for the about- ring. Tell me about Kaladin Stormblast losing his magic for half a book. <laughs> Jesus I know. Christ, I swear to God. Does it happen I again know. in the next one? Does it happen again in the third one? I don't what think book are you so. on? I, I just read the read second two. one. <gasps> I haven't continued because you do not have Arcanium. Ar- Arcanum. Oh. That one. Dallas uh-huh. did a little twitchy thing. Um, Sorry. I'm I gotta, girl books. I gotta read the filler before I jump back uh. in. No, you don't. Read the thriller before you get to the thriller. Yeah, Alexa skipped all the filler. And I still loved it. Thank you. The filler was good, though. <laughs> I do whatever I want. I do what I want. Alexa, what, what superhero tropes are you over? Hmm. Since you're new to this thing three years in. <laughs> hey, hey now. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a trope, but I'm real, real sick and tired of... Well, no, I guess it is probably a trope. The female characters being imaginary. (laughs) Accessories. Yep, I can can relate to that one. That one's a Mm -hmm. not-so-fun one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a heated conversation with my partner about that the other day. He was like, I heard a theory that they're going to make a Fantastic Four movie set in the 50s. And I was like, that is the last thing that Sue Storm needs. 
They are just doing that to trap her again. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, don't even get me started. That woman deserves better. She should just leave them all in the 50s and come back here. You have opinions on the Fantastic Four now. You cannot say you're new to comics anymore. I'm sorry. Ah, That's my sweet If babies. you have opinions about how Sue Storm is treated, you can no longer say you're new to comics. Okay, You fair. get a senior discount. I'm a veteran. <laughs> I, Congratulations. I do want us to read some of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four. Oh just because it is truly the craziest shit you've ever read in your life. And it like it fun. goes so far in the other direction that it becomes kind of campy how mean they are to Sue Storm. Because like Jack Kirby will draw her doing all the cool shit in the world, and then mm-hmm. Stan Lee will come in and add dialogue where all the men are like, Oh man, crazy, we're letting Sue do this. She sucks, by the way. Back to the kitchen, you at the um the women of man of Marvel panel, um, Anne Nascenti definitely laid into that a little bit. She's like, they called her the invisible girl. Are you kidding me? Bullshit. Yeah. I love Anne Nascenti. She's a legend. Criminals. True. Okay. Is this the last question? No, we have two more questions. Quickly from Glenn. Um, hello, Irredeemables. One, there has been a lot of evil Superman character type stories over the years. So we've heard. I think this one does it the best. Thoughts Collective. Is this yes. the best? Invincible. Yes. Ooh, okay, yeah, Invincible I do song. love Omni-Man. The song. only thing stopping me is I don't view Omni-Man as like, like the perfect like evil Superman. I he, he feels like his own thing to me. I also, agree. Miracle Man exists. I know neither of you two have read it, but like I have gotten to that part of Miracle Man, and that is insane. You got to kid Miracle Man. Yeah. Holy shit balls, Alexis! Scary. It's shit. terrifying. It is the scariest. Like played as a horror comic, <laughs> where he snaps and destroys London, and it, it is me too. Ooh, it's so scary. <laughs> He's just like me in that first question. Yeah, snap, yeah. I was gonna London. say, that's you. <laughs> So two, the ending of this is very similar to a story beat in All-Star Superman, coincidence by two very different writers who both love the character or more. Um, well, if Mark Wade and Grant Morrison feel like loving pen pals, so honestly, it just feels like a, a loving homage and a reference to the fact that it's like, hey, a lot of power can be misused, but also there's an there's the idea that maybe it can't be. And I liked that as the ending to Irredeemable. I do. It felt a little out of left field, but in a positive way. Yeah. Where'd you come from? I liked you, but what the hell? Mm -hmm. But I liked it. It it feels like the way that Mark repaid Grant for their very kind words at the end of issue one. (laughs) Like, Grant Morrison just goes in like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read in my life. This comic is a super predator. I fucking love it. I've only read the script, by the way, but this comic is fucking incredible. <laughs> For the first two issues, by the way, but this comic's gonna blow your fucking minds out. I'm like, Grant, you really swung home for your bestie, and that is such a mood. Okay, final question from Glenn. Fave side character. Shit, we already kind of did this. Um, I love Cubit, even though he's not really a side character. He feels like the main character. Okay, anyway. Dallas. Precisely. Yeah, I like right. Sleeping Bag Demon. Sleeping Bag Demon. Come on. <laughs> Lexi. Uh yes, sleeping bag demon, but also um oh I forgot her name. Oh Caden. 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 Awesome. Lexi, do you want to read the final question from Ed? Yes. 
uh, says, hey, collective, question mark. Yeah, okay. Uh, what are your general thoughts on an evil Superman? Honestly, I think an evil Superman would be invincible. He could commit so many injustices. He would commit so many, he'd be irredeemable. And with his heat vision, there'd be many bright burns and the might forces of Earth can't do anything about. He'd probably destroy the Earth. The universe would be Earth 3. Hee hee hee. Play on free. Ed. I feel like there was Jail. a lot of puns in there that I missed, Ed. Jail, Ed. They were. That's the title of every evil Superman book. Oh. In there. No, don't, well don't applaud. Small don't applaud. Don't clap that. <laughs> don't encourage Ed here. We kind of addressed this, but Ed, you there you go. There's your airtime. <laughs> you did much you better. You did, we, uh, we already we, talked about this, Ed, but thank you very much. Ed. We're still glaring at you, but you did much better. <laughs> hey, I got a chuckle out of that. Well done. <laughs> that was a fun episode. I hope everyone out there loved it. Lexi, do you want to sign us off? Absolutely. Uh, if you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts and write us a five-star review. Or on Spotify, just give us that five stars. If you think we do four stars, keep it to yourself. Only give us five stars. <laughs> five-star reviews, babies. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And we'll see y'all next week where we cover Fatal. Finally. <gasps> We've been talking about her. Ooh. Forever. More Noir, more Ed Brubaker. I'm excited. I <laughs> loved <laughs> the first two volumes of this run, so I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be good. Noir, baby. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.